This is episode 67 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with Linda Schantz. Growing up, Linda's exposure to horses was limited to books and excitedly pointing them out in fields from the backseat of a car. To compensate, she drew them and wrote stories about them. It wasn't until Linda was 13 that she managed to immerse herself in horses, working as a volunteer at a summer camp. Along the way, she never stopped drawing them, and she never stopped writing stories. Linda began working at the racetrack before she finished high school, and after graduating, she took a hot walking job at Payson Park in Florida. Once back at Woodbine, Linda started grooming and galloping. While the backstretch was exciting, she found she was more at home on the farm, prepping and starting yearlings, night watching and fooling mares. Eventually, Linda started her own small layup broodmare facility, and in the last few years, she has transitioned into retraining and rehoming thoroughbreds. Linda lives on a small farm in southern Ontario, Canada, with her off-track thoroughbreds and a young border collie with a sheep addiction, and she hopes to event one of her horses in the future. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to have fellow author and equestrian artist Linda Schantz on the show with me today. Hi, Linda. Welcome. Thank you, Carly. I appreciate you having me. It's going to be a fun conversation. (laughs) Uh, I'm really excited to learn more about your art, and we're going to talk about your debut novel, which is doing tremendously well. But the first question I always like to start these interviews out with is, Linda, how did your love affair with horses begin? <laughs> well, my mother likes to tell a story of there being a lampshade by my bed with a cowboy on it, and she blames it on that. <laughs> and then she always read books to me and, and my brothers as kids. And of course, one was the Black Stallion. So I, I think she might regret that now <laughs> because it uh, definitely started things off for me that, that I started with you know, racehorses, I guess, was a big thing, right? It was part of the Black Stallion. So so it seemed to kind of start there and, and never went away. So. <laughs> I think a lot of us started off with yeah. the Black Stallion. I still have my copy on my shelf from mm-hmm. when I was a, a wee thing. So it, I think yeah. it starts for a lot of us there. Okay, so it, so it started with the Black Stallion, which, you know, all, all us horse girls are totally in love with. And then it, it grew from there as you grew older. What, how did your, your journey from the crib to the saddle <laughs> go? <laughs> well, I, my family, we couldn't afford riding lessons. So mm. I ended up going to a riding camp mm. as a kid. For, I get like two weeks a year. That was my horse thing. And, and to get my horse fixed. Otherwise, I was always drawing them and riding them like every kid in the in the corners of margins of my pages at school and everything. And I was that horse kid at school that everybody, you know, <laughs> crazy horse girl. 
So I ended up working as a volunteer at the riding camp for a number of years. And it was a Western camp. So I did that for about five years until we finally moved to the country. And I started working for a woman who was across the road who had thoroughbreds. And that was my dream, of course, because she has thoroughbreds. So I started off painting her fences, actually. <laughs> and she finally let me, you know, get on a horse, one of her thoroughbreds. So a dream come true, right? <laughs> Getting on my first thoroughbred. And did a little bit of showing with her and such. And then I worked at the racetrack for the first time, which was, again, another dream. So I first worked at the racetrack, which was something I always wanted to do. Again, blame it on the Black Stallion, I guess. I had followed racing since since then and worked there. It was the final year before my last year of high school. So mm. that kind of started the racetrack thing and ended up getting into the, the industry that way and, and did a little bit of everything, actually, you know, worked at the track and traveling to Florida in the winters and and a bit of grooming and a bit of galloping and so that was a kind of where the race horse thing started and and continues yeah because yeah. you are yeah. you are a big fan of thoroughbred still to this day you have mm-hmm. your own own property and you have off the track thoroughbreds there mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your your furry friends. I know you've got a pretty cool dog too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I figure we could probably talk the whole time just on the animals, right? <laughs> uh, obviously, that, that's exactly, yeah. That's exactly. We could talk for days and days about exactly. Yeah. That's our whole. That's what we live and breathe, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So my my dog is a border collie. She's two years old, and I've been doing some sheep herding with her, like just learning because I really knew nothing about it other than watching. Mm-hmm. such and we do some scent discrimination and I had done obedience with dogs in the, the past competitive obedience but she seems to do the scent work and the herding is really her thing she's a she's a pretty neat little dog and then I have four horses of my own Yay. <laughs> I know right I have a collection of off-track thoroughbreds one uh, the oldest one is 20 this year mm-hmm. and I actually bred her myself and failed to get her to the races, but she has made me money. I kind of joke that she didn't make me any money as a race horse, but that she has made me money as a model because I've painted her a lot of times and I've sold a lot of paintings of her. So she's earned her keep. And then I've, uh, the other three are all adopted from a client that I had. I used to fold and, and raise their horses and do their layups and that sort of thing. So a few of them ended up, you know, being mine after they retired from racing. So it's amazing. So that's you, how you, you collect horses. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and what is so exciting about your story is you, you've actually been able to be in the equestrian business experience like the backside of the racetrack experience what it's like to like watch the horses run and race and take care of them but you are you've also been able to make your love of horses into a a very successful career you are a incredibly talented equestrian artist so talk to us a little bit about your art and when you started painting horses, like in, in how that whole part of your creative adventure with horses bloomed? Well, I've been drawing as probably since I could hold the pencil Mm -hmm. and same thing, the drawing and the writing thing, the little stories as a kid, every, every story that you had got an assignment for in school was always horses. When I was 16, a friend of the family was an artist and he ran an oil painting course. 
So that was the first time I tried oils and loved them. And that's what I work in primarily now is oil paint. And yeah, I just, I started off doing portraits, which happens with a lot of people is, you know, if you want to make money from it, that's kind of the most direct way to go mm-hmm. is to do portraits of people's horses because they always want that. Started that way. And, and then I, I did try and take a sensible course and go back to school. And I, I have a science degree, which is kind of weird for, <laughs> for someone that, that I obviously don't use all that much. I, but yeah, so the art thing for me was out there a lot more easily than, than the writing, I think, because you do portraits and people would buy the portraits and then you get better hopefully over time and, and such. And, and it's been going consistently for, for a long time now. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of always been part of what I did and, and did turn nicely into something that that makes me some, some income, which is kind of the dream. That's incredible. I mean, I know I doodled horses when I was a little in the margins of my journals, but there is no way on earth I could paint or draw anything as gorgeous as the picture that's behind you over your shoulder. And good on you for at 16. It's almost like the universe kind of brought you that first oil painting class with the family friend, So you could mm-hmm. immerse yourself in your talent. And then you just full on embraced it and, and grew as an artist. I mean, you have a gallery, you're featured all over the place with your art. Like, I mean, this is a full blown talent, huge become a business sort of thing where you're making money, which is, which is really amazing. And uh, did it surprise you that, that you were able to expand and take your art out into, you know, such a, such a big realm? Well, I think it just, because it happened over time and I was always doing a balance of the two and it, it, kind of complemented each other of course like working with the horses and then painting them and you know going to horse shows with the art and and people you know buying them wanting portraits done that sort of thing so it it's almost like I wasn't aware it just kind of snowballed over time and and that's how things work a lot of times with art anyways like it's I guess there are people who are successes overnight and Mm -hmm. and that's great but I think for most of us it just happens over time and Mm -hmm. and hopefully just like with writing you you know keep investing in in learning more and getting better and that sort of thing and and learning how to market a little better <laughs> and that sort of thing. As is the journey fine, with any right? any creative, yes, taking the yeah. time, continuing mm-hmm. with your talent, not getting discouraged. Word of mouth certainly helps building mm-hmm. relationships in the community. And it sounds like you set up little shops at horse shows and, and yeah. offered portraits. And, and that's, you know, that's the best way to start. You just get yourself mm-hmm. out there and you just do it and look what it can become. It can become mm-hmm. this massive, amazing thing. And that's happened for you. So you, this is, this is so great. So you've had a lot of success. You've been around horses your whole life. You've worked, you've worked racetracks. You've worked with thoroughbreds. You have your own farm. You're inspired daily and you paint pictures of horses. And now you've added author to your list of accomplishments, (laughs) which is so exciting. You just released your debut novel, Good Things Come. Tell us about your horse book and where the inspiration for the story came from. Again, I, I kind of take it right back to the Black Stallion because, like, you know, you said you read it too as a kid, mm-hmm. and the races were always the Derby, right? All the 
horse novels I read as a kid, it was always the Derby. Mm-hmm. And because I'm Canadian, our big race is the Queen's Plate. And I was like, why isn't there, you know, why isn't there a book about the Queen's Plate? So I went to my first Queen's Plate when I was 11. My dad took me to the race and you know I just had this little obsession about the plate there weren't a lot of books on it or a lot of information but I got whatever I could and that sort of thing and had this this little obsession with the plate and had started writing the story that has become good things come was was written way started way back then and once I worked at the track of course I had to update things a bit because I knew how things really worked And it wasn't, you know, like Disney. (laughs) So I, you know, rewrote it. And then again, it sits on the shelf, right? I just was doing the art thing and and the whole self-publishing thing hadn't taken off. So things were a lot different when I I had first worked on it. And then when we started seeing equestrian authors get some, their own little niche, basically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so I guess I'm like oh well I could maybe I could self-publish it but uh I did consider traditional publishing I actually did query for a while and, and such because I like with my horse art I was I'm kind of stubborn and I think it should be recognized on a broader mm-hmm. scale and you know of course we love it but why can't everybody else love it too mm-hmm. so I did consider that with with this book when I was querying but obviously this year was such a weird year uh, that you know with agents and such and a lot of the agents that that I had hoped to contact weren't accepting queries and and I did you know have some people reading the manuscript and stuff and got great feedback so I was pretty confident about the writing I thought okay the writing's got to be okay if, if they're reading it and, and liking it but the horse thing comes back to haunt you <laughs> did, yeah did you get the typical you know this is a great book and it's a great story but it's too niche or Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how to market something with horses in it. I mean, that's yeah. really what a lot of authors hear uh, when they when they do query agents mm-hmm. and traditional publishers. Did you get that sort of feedback also? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And and I'm sure you know if it's one of those things. If you give it the time, there might have been an agent who picked mm-hmm. it up and had a publisher in mind and that sort of thing. But uh, it was one of those things with the year we've had and with what's going on in horse racing right now. It's like, oh, no, no, I think we kind of need, I'd like to put this kind of feel good story out there and see how it goes, right? And and not wait and see, because you know how it is with traditional publishing, you can have a product, a book, and it might be two years or more before, you know, it might take you two years to get an agent and then another two years to find a publisher and so on right mm-hmm. so I'm like okay I'm getting old <laughs> I need and, to work on this yeah and that's what I mean that's what's so beautiful about independent publishing I mean you're, you just mentioned it not only have equestrian authors created a niche and, and are doing very well in selling a lot of books but there you know you can get it out there so much more quickly when you <laughs> I mean obviously you have to do all the right like things like have a good cover and get it edited and do the uh, mm-hmm. feedback from advanced readers you have to do all the the right things but you can move the process much more quickly if you choose to independently publish and I know that you've uh, you've been in the horse community obviously for a very long time through your art and also through the racetrack and you have relationships with a lot of us already out here doing the horse books so you had a whole community of people that you could reach out to and talk to and I know that you worked with 
Natalie Keller Reinhardt on the cover yeah. of your book. So, you know, so we're all this little, we're like this little unit that can help each other move projects forward and provide community and support for other authors that are moving into the independent space and coming in and growing the the niche of horse books for because there are people out there reading them obviously you know so mm-hmm. so so you have a community and you've entered it so i know you have your book over your shoulder there with the beautiful cover <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the cover and where the inspiration for that came from and and then how you worked with natalie to to design the book yeah for sure because i'd gone back and forth with the self-publishing idea a few years ago i thought okay you know I'm gonna do this painting and maybe it'll be a cover for the book one day and it was actually a horse that a friend of mine trained so it was it was just kind of weird that okay she had this little mare who was almost black and she was really pretty and such so I got to take lots of pictures of her so I had a ready-made model and I'd done this painting but I didn't want to get too attached to the idea in case I did go traditional because you know you don't have control of that anymore so when I made that decision to um, do the indie publishing instead, I took the scan of the painting and I threw it in Photoshop and kind of played around with it a bit, did some editing and, and thought, okay, you know, I think I like that and showed it to a few friends and, and they seemed to back me up on that. And that was what I sent to Natalie with kind of a, a vague idea of, of fonts and such. So that was the next battle, of course, was finding the right fonts which I thought would be more straightforward but uh, apparently uh, it, it just took more time than I thought I'm sure I drove for Natalie crazy with my uh, nitpicking I'm like it's kind of the worst thing right working with an artist that we can be particular uh, but finally I you know ran I'd run it past my friends and then bring it back and she'd make the adjustments and, and such and and it all came together in time to get it out because I had set a deadline for myself for when I wanted to have things out and then praise things worked out that way. <laughs> it's a beautiful cover. I mean, and how amazing that you you were able to paint the picture that you wanted for the cover of your book. That's like marrying your creative Mm-hmm. your creative parts of your soul perfectly it's it's a beautiful cover so so for for those not watching us on youtube can you can you just describe the cup can you describe the cover really quickly so so listeners have a a visual of what the cover of the book looks like yeah for sure i had taken it it was from photos i took after a race of this particular horse whose name was quite a vita or some people say it kitty vitty it gets said two ways <laughs> and she was just coming back after the race and it was at a, fa- a track called Fort Erie that um, the light there is just so beautiful. So I was snapping pictures of her and decided, you know, I would crop it. And so it's basically just her ears and her eye and the angle of, of her face. And it's set against the sky, the blue background, which is pretty close to what it was in reality. Um, I, I took some greenery out in the background. <laughs> And then I just kind of have a scripty font for the the title, so it's like the, the almost black horse. Well, I guess she would be black to most people. We just it's a thoroughbred thing. We don't call horses black. <laughs> I think we blame the black stallion for that too. Uh, even if they are black, they're they're not registered as black. I like to think that she's looking hopeful, so <laughs> she's looking yeah. forward, right? Very impressive eye and her ears are are 
pitched forward and the the light and the detail on her face. I mean, it looks like she's like looking into the sun. It's it's just a very, very beautiful painting that ended up on the cover of your debut novel. <laughs> that is so exciting. And then, you know, what's even more incredible is Good Things Come hit the Amazon number one new release slot. How did that make you feel with your very first book? Well, it was pretty surreal. It was... Uh... Yeah, it's like, what are the words, right? It's like, you, I didn't even have any expectation of that. But it was just made me feel really grateful for the people that supported it for mm -hmm. the, the kind of, you know, following, I guess I had with my art, I think a lot of people were backing me up and supporting me with that. So it's it's really all them, right? It's the readers, it's the people who bought it that, that put you there. And you're just like, wow, <laughs> that's so cool. It's like, you just can't help but be thankful for those people, right? They're what make it, so. Oh, yeah, we do we do this yeah. for people who, who read our books. Once, once we put it out in the world, it's no longer ours. It's exactly it's them, yeah. and we wouldn't be where we are without them. And, and that, I mean, that is just, and congratulations, that is just so exciting and I'm completely thrilled for you. And I love seeing equestrian books, you know, hitting lists like this and, and showing that, you know, there is an audience for what we're writing about, which makes me super happy. Did you do anything special to launch the book that might have helped you get to that slot? Or, how, you know, how were you reaching your readers, letting them know that this project was coming? I used uh, the existing following that I had with, mm -hmm. with my art because it seemed kind of natural that that a certain number of them anyways, they obviously most of them were horse people, horse lovers, and mm -hmm. a certain portion of them would be people who were interested in racing as well, because I paint a lot of racehorses. So I, with my email list that I had, I kind of set up a new segment and, and did a, a new welcome sequence and offered the first chapter so I would get a number of people from there that, that could sign up, but not necessarily if they don't, I didn't want to bombard people with this new book thing, just in case like there's, I didn't want to just assume everybody would be interested in it. Mm -hmm. And then did the same sort of thing on, on Facebook. That's ended up being the biggest thing for mine is as much as Facebook has its problems. It, it has been great for this. And I have enough of a following there that I did the same thing. I put the, the information there and, you know, sign up for the list. You can read the first chapter and shared it with whatever groups I could that seemed relevant. And, and that did a pre-order with it as well for the Kindle and it kind of went from there. And then again, word of mouth happens after that. Right. So. Absolutely. So. Yeah. That's smart. You know, it's like, and it, it's, it, it really speaks to the value of having an email list and mm -hmm. smart marketing, right? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. because, because there is, there is a little bit of room where you have to be a little bit sensitive because you have a community of people who are fans of your art, you know, and they may not necessarily be interested in, in books. So I think you did it in a really smart way by offering the first chapter, but then you're also letting them know that there is this book coming and it, you would, you know, it does marry very well. I mean, your art's on the cover of the book. It's about, you know, you paint a lot of resources. It's, it's about horse racing. So it's a, it's an obvious connection, but there was, I'm sure you were very sensitive to the fact that people were there for your art, maybe not so much for the books, but it's, mm -hmm. it sounds like it worked out perfectly. Right. It did. It definitely did. <laughs> That's great. And then, uh, you know, and, and so you are a super creative person. You, you create art and you're writing now, 
how do you structure your days around your creativity? Do you have a special time to write and, and work on your art or does it come when inspiration hits you? Like, how do you, how do you get paint on the canvas and words on the page? Well, uh, I think any, anybody who ends up working professionally, at least as an artist, and it's the same for writing, right? Is you have to do it. You, we can't wait for inspiration. <laughs> Though I have gone through periods where I didn't seem capable of doing anything. Hmm. And my schedule is very much, of course, you have horses at home now, so you'll get this. They rule the schedule. <laughs> so they're the first thing I do in the, in the morning, right? As I'm out there and I find that that's really good though. When I muck stalls, it's like when I get good ideas and lines, if I'm working on something, I'll be like grabbing my phone and making notes on, on a line or whatever, whatever I'm writing at that time. So I try and write a little bit in the morning, at least like give it an hour once I go back in the house and the afternoons are, are what I set aside for painting. And then sometimes in the evening I'll, I will, do some more writing or if I have a deadline I might work on a painting but I'm also a big binger I guess I would say when it comes to both things I've done a few 30-day challenges mm -hmm. where I've done a painting a day for 30 days which is kind of crazy wow it's it's just it happens and uh, everybody lives, <laughs> meaning the horses. They've let me do it. Nobody's, you know, uh, had any real drama the times I've done it. And then the same thing with, you've probably heard of NaNoWriMo, right? Mm -hmm. The National Novel Writing Month. I, I love doing that. Again, it's insane to try and write, you know, 50,000 words in a month especially when you are, you know, trying to do art and, and have a barn full of horses and that sort of thing. But it, it works like the, for me anyways, I, I kind of love letting myself be crazy for a month and, and do that. And, and it really seems to heighten the productivity overall. And you kind of get amazed at how much you can do <laughs> in a day in those times. But, uh, that's kind of how it's it's worked for me. But then then the rest of the time I try I do try and stick to a schedule as best I can. And the joy of that is that I can if there's a day I don't get to do something, then I don't beat myself up because most days I am actually doing something. <laughs> yeah, and and that's really smart. And I you mentioned a lot of things there that I think were are really important for for other authors to hear is that you created a you create a routine. Uh, and, and I'm like you, I write best in the morning when I'm fresh and I haven't done a whole lot of other things. And you also mentioned that inspiration comes from being around the horses and you're jotting things down on your phone or, you know, it's like, or carrying a journal around with you so you can grab those thoughts as they come because just being around the horses inspires things. Right. But then mm -hmm. you set a schedule for your writing first thing in the morning and then your, your paintings in, in the afternoon. And then in the evening, if you have time, you can write some more. Uh, so creating that schedule is really important to keep it moving forward, like step by step by step. And then there isn't that massive guilt of having great periods of time where you're not working on your creative projects. And so that's really important. But then NaNoWriMo, which I'll, I'll link to the information in your show notes, is an amazing experience for getting words on the page and seeing what you can do and crafting something. It's it's The goal is to write 50,000 words in a month. And I think... Uh, uh, a little over 1600 words a day is, is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great thing to try 
uh, and you know, you, you're amazed at what you can accomplish. And I think you're right there. Now a painting a day, you, your paintings are incredibly detailed and beautiful. I, uh, that I'm sure that probably made your head spin even a little bit more than NaNoWriMo. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I also liked how you said the horses always come first and that, that, that is so true. They come first in everything that we do and they're, they are our inspiration. In fact, before uh, Linda jumped on the interview with me, I was texting my farrier who was arriving <laughs> after her interview today. So the horses are, I had to pause for a second before we began so I could get back to my farrier. So it's just <laughs> the way of an equestrian, right? Uh, and so, so far, what has been the hardest part for you about being an author? But then on the flip side, what's the best part about being an author so far in your journey? The hardest part, I would say, is definitely the marketing. Like you feel like you always have to be on, like you're always doing something. It's like every day I've got to keep this alive, kind of, right? Like you have to keep working on it and being, I'm, I'm pretty much a hardcore introvert. I spend my day, you know, with the horses and painting and writing. So that in a way is the joy of the internet right and and this year being restricted anyways it's like okay i can do that i can i can be someone for a few hours a day going online and and such but that does kind of tie into the best side and that there is this community out there of of other authors within in the niche and and the readers out there like it's I don't know why I didn't expect it. I had heard about it. I'd seen it. I'd been one of those readers. But to actually kind of be on there and be on the receiving end and think, oh, this is really cool. These people are, they're, you know, they're us too, right? <laughs> like they're, they're all, uh, we're all one big crazy bunch of horse people, right? <laughs> I don't want to say just girls because there are our guys too, but it's uh that's been been really neat kind of seeing that that whole community right and and being on the other side for a change right so yeah and uh, that's so cool and well thank you for being a reader of horse books also you know it's like <laughs> you know and 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 seeing both sides is i can't imagine so unique in the marketing yeah that is probably the most common answer people say about the hardest thing and in it you in fact do have to always be on or be doing something to make sure people know that your books are in the world and it doesn't matter if you're independently published or traditionally mm -hmm. published the marketing yeah. falls to the author and it's always you know something that you have to be doing and it's a struggle you know to just how do I keep this fresh how do I not bother people you exactly. know how do I stay consistent <laughs> uh you know yeah so there's there's all sorts of fun things about marketing that you can uh learn and discover as an author and then you know hopefully this podcast brings creative inventive ideas for 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 other authors and of course books to think of new ways and new things to try but it sounds like you're off to an incredible start I mean offering the first chapters of your book and and going to your community and sharing it on your email list was a very smart move and obviously it worked because your book hit the number one new release slot <laughs> which is so exciting now is there anything that you wish you had known when you started out on your author journey? It sounds like you did a really great job educating yourself before you made the decision if you wanted to go the traditional route or the independent route and you knew the importance of good book cover design and advanced readers and all of that. So, but is there anything that you wish you had known uh, before you had released your first book? The one thing that I didn't really get done, which I kind of knew I should do, 
was to have advanced reader copies and to approach people beforehand so that, you know, when you hit the ground running with reviews and such. So even though I kind of had something set up, it was very last minute. And then I was like, oh, I don't even know. <laughs> it was just kind of one too many things. But I, I really kind of lucked out in that the followers that I had, uh, I had a few people who seemed like really quick readers. <laughs> I'm like, how, how have you done that already? How can you be leaving a review? Uh, but that really kind of helped is that uh, shortly after the release, I did have, have a, a nice little handful of people get out there with reviews. So I guess I kind of got away with it, but that would be something that I, I think, oh, I need to to have researched that a little bit better, like outlets or different people or, or, or blogs or something before it was just, I was kind of thought, Oh, it's just kind of hard when the book's not out yet. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, but there's something about first, you know, it's like, just get it out there and get mm-hmm. this thing into the world that, you know, because it's a first, right. So a lot of first time authors are just like, let's get it out there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the reviews certainly followed because you, you had a community before you release the book. So, and, and that's, that's a great thing for other authors to consider. It's like, you can start building a community of people before you have your, your book, you know, just by being who you are and sharing your author journey. And then they're there for you. And I think Linda, what you were talking about was a lot, most authors, when they go to launch the book, they have sort of a pre-launch campaign strategy, which is to, to get advanced copies of the book to influencers or to fellow authors or to uh, strong people in your community or beta readers and ask them to read the book and, and share uh, honest review right around the time that the book launches. And usually those copies are, are free copies that you, that you share with, uh, with advanced readers. So, so then on the day the book comes out, there'll be reviews there waiting for other people to see when they go to look to buy the book. So that's a smart strategy. And, you know, again, like we were talking about, you're always adding new strategies to your marketing repertoire as you grow as an independent author, <laughs> mm-hmm. what advice would you give to an author who is about to release or who is working towards releasing their first novel? What, what is something that you would, would say to that person? I think there are a couple of things that come to mind. And one is to be open to feedback, to get that feedback before about things like the cover design and the actual book, like having those beta readers is priceless and having an editor, like you say, that sort of thing. Um, it's really important, especially the, things are so competitive that you really need to do your part to have the, it be a product because it is a product, right? You need to have it look its best and, and, and hopefully be, you know, free of as many typos as is humanly possible. I'm not entirely sure it's possible, but (laughs) I like to think it is. And then the other is to be ready to do that work because it's usually not the work that we want to do. Of course, we want to be writing. And with me, I'd rather be painting than, Mm -hmm. than promoting. But if you believe the business experts, it's like, what, 80, 20 is the split, they say, 80 marketing to 20% creative work which is not what any of us wants to hear, but it's kind of the reality is that you really need to be doing the marketing because it's great when you have this book, but it's really sad if you aren't actually selling it, right? I mean, it, it, there is still a sense of accomplishment, but, but finding ways to reach the people who want to read it because they're out there mm-hmm. is a, a big deal, right? So. 
Yeah, that's the funny thing. I, once you've written the book and the book is out there, your job isn't over. It just mm-hmm. it, it just <laughs> begins. And then there's this mm-hmm. whole other aspect of, of making sure the book is visible because there are so many books available in the world. If you're not helping it be visible, it, it is often buried because, you know, there's just so much competition. So then mm-hmm. authors are responsible for, for elevating it and, and, and showing people it's out there. I, 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 heard, I love that 80-20 thing, that it's 80% business marketing and 20% being creative. That's also the sort of the philosophy of, of how to share on social media, uh, 80% other things and 20% selling, you know, about, right. about your books. So it's like what other things are, are out there that you're up to as an author you know, to, to fill in the gaps between the selling. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. so, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to be really human in as, a, as an author, but it, it's also, you know, most of us would rather just be creative and be behind the desk or be with our horses than out there going, oh, I'm an author. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I share, I share that. I understand that. <laughs> I wanted to ask you too, you know, you have been a creative for a very long time and, and you, you have the art the artwork that you do, and then you also now have a book. What has been the best investment that you've made in your business as an or as an as a creative up until this point? I'd have to say taking some time away, like to be with others to do the same thing. And again, with I've had a full of horses, so it's always been a big deal for me to get away from the farm. But it means like it used to be that every year of a group of artist friends and I would all go to Saratoga and we'd rent a house and go to the races and do other things, you know, eat a bunch of food and, and that sort of thing. And that, I think, because you're around people like throw around ideas. And in this case, they were all all artists. It wasn't authors, but the same thing would apply, right? Just being around like minded people who mm-hmm. kind of get that and actually making myself get away it was an expense because a farm sitter is expensive when you've got eight horses Mm -hmm. to look after or sometimes it was more and of course you know travel time renting the house renting house in Saratoga is not necessarily cheap though we found a pretty good place for a number of years but that for me I think was was a big deal because again left to my own devices I just stay at home and work seven days a week and and so on but but that doesn't isn't always the best thing for any of us right to work all day and and not get a break where you know you get to see the world a little differently right outside of your own sphere and such so so that was probably what I would say it's like you know, putting the money out there, even years when it, when I felt like I was broke, it's like, yeah, no, I'm going to do this. <laughs> that's that's really smart advice, you know, because it's you are inspired when you're with like-minded people and you get a mm-hmm. change of scenery. And often with horses, it is difficult to find people you trust to stay on your property and take care of your animals. Mm-hmm. So that kind of keeps us stuck. But it's, you know, I go to conference a conference every year. I go to the American Horse Publications Conference, and I always come back recharged. You know, it is mm-hmm. an investment. And it, you know, and it does take you away, but you're around all these people with, you know, you have different opportunities to think about what they're doing and talk about what they're doing. But then you're, you know, you're just, it's just changing things and enlivening you, you know? So, yeah. uh, So that's, that's great advice. So good and good for you to, to realize that that is an important investment to make in yourself and your career and moving things forward, even when it's a challenge to say, I'm going to spend this kind of money. That's, that's great. Mm -hmm. 
has anything happened or like bloomed for you that you wouldn't have expected having now written your first book? I I do think the reaction I it's again it was one of those things I didn't really think about it too much you kind of hope that your book is well received right it's like you know you take your little book baby and throw it out into the world and <laughs> I kind scary. of felt like I was yeah sending my kid off to school right and and hoping the other kids were nice to to <laughs> so having the again the the reaction in the community and the support of others like Natalie's been huge like she's been amazing with her support and and such and and other authors as well that kind of helped along the way that I'm like, oh, I've been in my own bubble so much, right? <laughs> that, that actually kind of getting out there and, and uh, it's it's just, you know, people like you and, and such doing this, it's just a really neat community, I think, that that is great to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, other authors are not our com- competition. We, exactly. We, when we work together, we lift each other up and, you know, we're, we share readers, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm a horse book. I'll pick anything up with a horse on the cover and I'll, you know, it doesn't matter what if it's racing or Western or English or venting, I'm going to read a horse book. So we, you know, we share readers too. So it may only makes sense that we work together. Plus the questions are just a different species. I think that we, uh, you know, we're more empathetic and we know how to take care of something other than ourselves. It's not all about us, you know, because the horses, like you said earlier, always come first. So this is a really cute, cool community of, of authors that are working together to uh, bring great content to people who love horses. So that's wonderful. And then what are you curious about now? Like what's <laughs> next? You've got so many amazing things going. Is there, are there more books uh, bubbling up in you? Like, what are you thinking? I have promised a sequel to this book. So uh, I'm on the hook for that for sure. Um, but yeah, we're always coming up with, different story ideas and such and I'd love to come up with something for it's just kind of a vague idea to have you know the off-track thoroughbreds and dogs because I've been big into dogs for a lot of years so I'm like oh dogs are hot too I'm like oh maybe I could write that book that might be traditionally accepted (laughs) dogs are hot or not maybe it won't matter yeah yeah it's kind of funny with all the dog books out there I'm like oh I should be writing about dogs you know horses (laughs) So how about both, maybe? <laughs> so is there is there anything that your readers or, or fans of your art would be surprised to learn about you, Linda? Really, the because most people know me as a horse person and a racehorse person, the whole kind of dog part of things. It's like a whole side life, almost, that I, for about 15 years. I trained dogs professionally. I did competitive evenings and such. So that was... I sometimes I think, oh, did that even happen? <laughs> so that uh, was a, a different thing. It was kind of a change of, of pace from the horse world. It, you know, there are parallels, of course, but uh, dogs are a little easier to transport and take to shows and such. So that part was good. But I just, it's it's hard to do both because of the time, right? I mean, to have horses and be training horses and have dogs and be training dogs. I know there are people who do it. I don't seem to be able to pull it off. So usually I'm a little bit of, of either or. <laughs> so that was, and the, the other weird thing I think is that I do have a science degree that I, <laughs> you know, I'm an artist. I 
self-taught with that and writing same thing I did at one point consider journalism school but I don't think I got accepted because all my courses in high school were all science courses so that's what I got accepted for so yeah I have a degree in food science which uh, would be very useful if I used it but you know I haven't used it much <laughs> <laughs> well that's but that's really interesting because horse people tend to get the reputation of we're only about horses so you just did you just you know expanded that you know we do, we do have broad variety of interests we just happen to like to talk about horses a whole lot <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's that's wonderful and the dog stuff sounds really fun you know like learning how to how to work with dogs and, and what you're doing now with your board, your border collie sounds like a lot of fun too so I have so enjoyed having you on the show today, and I am so happy for you that you've had wonderful success with your debut novel and that you're enjoying the community of readers and other authors that are here to support you. Linda, can you let listeners know where they can find more information about your art in your books? Yes, for sure. And thank you very much for having me. This has been, been great. I do have a website. And it's my name, lindashantz.com. And on there, there's information about commissions and, and a gallery of work and, and work for sale. And I also have a page that has the book on it and links to, to where you can purchase it. Okay. Well, I am on all the places, but my involvement there is is varied. I'm, I think I'm most present on Facebook. And my Facebook page is, uh, it's Linda Schantz Fine Art. And I do share about my book there as well. I, I seem to have found a balance. And, and I did ask my followers, I'm like, okay, should I make another page? I don't really want to. And they're like, oh, no, they were, they seem to support that idea, which is great. And Linda, I will link to all those places in the show notes, along with the beautiful pictures that you've sent over to me so people can get directly to you. I just wanted listeners to be able to hear where, where you were available and where they can go and, and learn more about your beautiful artwork and see examples of of what you've been out there creating and also get to your book. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. I wish you so much success and I can't wait to continue following your journey. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.